This season of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Uller, O-O-L-E-R, makers of my favorite thing on the earth, which is called the Chili Pad. So when we are trying to dissect human performance, a.k.a. how do I just feel better and have enough energy when I get home at night after a long day at work, one of the things we try to do is just organize and constrain as many aspects of our environment and behavior so we don't have to make another choice. And that comes down for you to try to improve the density and the quality of your sleep. Really, that is turning out to just be the, the name of the game when we're talking about longevity. And yes, you can sleep in a dark place. Yes, you can get off your blue light. All the things we've heard before. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't have a caffeine espresso chaser at midnight. Lisa, our producer. But really, one of the big issues here for a lot of us is that heat and the room temperature is a big deal. We recommend sort of somewhere between 62 and 68 degrees. Maybe you're a little bit colder, a little bit warmer. But that 10 degree range is a sweet spot. One of the things that happens is, like like many of us, I basically need to sleep under a thunder blanket. You know, one of those weighted blankets, like your dog gets sketched out from the in the thunderstorm. And so, what I try to do is pin myself down under an enormous cover, just like my wife does, and she loves that thing, and I love that thing. But I become hotter than the sun. Enter the chili pad, and basically, the chili pad circulates cold water underneath my sheet all night long to a temperature that is perfect for me. And one of the things that happened is that I stopped waking up, throwing my legs off in a fit of sweaty, like, desperation. I can't recommend this thing enough. If you have a hot sleeper in your life, go to chilitechnology.com slash TRS. That's C-H-I-L-I technology.com slash TRS for information on sleep and an amazing discount. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! You got it! On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we're thrilled to have Dr. Nick Danubli. He's an orthopedic surgeon specializing in sports medicine and is a clinical assistant professor at the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. He's an author of a best-selling book, Framework. Dr. Nick has served on the President's Council on Physical Fitness and Sports, chaired by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and also sits on the board as well as serves as the Chief Medical Officer of the American Council of Exercise. He's worked with the Philadelphia 76ers, the Pennsylvania Ballet, and small athletes unknown like Allen Iverson and Cal Ripken Jr. Most recently, he's been named Vice President of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. We are thrilled to have Dr. Nick on the show to learn more about aging and longevity and what he calls durability. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Ready State Podcast, Dr. Nick. We are so happy to have you on. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. It's my honor to be on with you guys. Um, Kelly, I've followed your work a long time, and and I'm not kidding when I tell you a week does not go by in my office where I, where I do not take a prescription pad and write your name on it. I usually spell it right. Uh, and I, and I <laughs> send patients to either your books, uh, your YouTube work, because uh, I, like you, think that people need to take more responsibility and that they can't care for their bodies, for their frames. They can do their own maintenance. And your stuff is so innovative. It's so fresh. And, um, and, and, and you have a way of, I think, connecting with people that they will actually do what you say. So I, I, you're on my prescription pad a lot, whether you know it or not. 
Oh boy, that's so nice. Do you think Kelly could keep you as his pocket PR agent? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what, I, what, I was, what I was just gonna say is, your poor patients will never get that time back. <laughs> it's just like a, a single. But also, you know, I think this really sets up this this conversation. This this season, we're obviously, we're, we're clearly we're talking about aging. We're tra- talking about what are best practices. And one of the things that I think Julia and I are confronted with a lot is that people have never been empowered. They just actually just end up old or end up older, end up like us. We're just suddenly, I'm middle-aged. I mean, I look in the mirror and I don't have any hair and I look like my father with a beard and I just don't know how I got here, except (laughs) I have some smart friends who've said, hey, this is maybe a better way. But the average person isn't instructed in the care and feeding of their body. They just sort of you know, make it through on the, on the genetic tolerance and beauty that is the human. Would you agree? Absolutely. It, it sneaks up on you. And after the age of 40, especially, and I'm, I'm an athlete, I've been an athlete my whole life and I'm, I'm well into my sixties and I'm still competing uh, at a pretty high level in tennis and, and, and your body changes after the age of 40, uh, it ages and it doesn't always age symmetrically. You could have parts of your body that are like newborn and, and other parts that are, are very, very old. And, uh, you know, the, the uh, Weekends with Maury, that great book, he had a great line in it that's, where he says that, you know, part of me is every age. Parts of me are every age. And, and, and it's true. And, and you can age even prematurely when you're younger with injuries or, or if you've abused your body, if you've abused your frame, uh, certain body parts can age prematurely. And, when, and once your body starts to age and change, uh, you can't treat it the same as you did. You need to be moving. You need to be fit. There's no, you know, there's no excuse. You can't stop, but, but you start getting into trouble. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no surprise that uh, the number one reason that, that people go to the doctor in this country, it used to be the common cold. And I was part of the research the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons did on this when we were tracking these numbers in the, in the late 1900s. Number one reason people went to the doctor is what you would think, the common cold, upper respiratory issues. Around 2000, it changed. And we thought it was just maybe an oddball kind of thing. Musculoskeletal issues became the number one reason that people go to the doctor. And ever since the year 2000, that has stayed and the numbers continue to grow. So people have, you know, whether it's your muscles, your bones, your joints. And this is why back then I I coined this term boomeritis, which was like the aging baby boomers, you know, uh, (laughs) arthritis, uh, bursitis, tendonitis, and most importantly, <laughs> fix meitis. You know that mindset. You know that mindset. They want to turn back the clock. They don't want to accept the fact that their body's changed and, and they're going to do more damage out there. So, you know, we spent about 5.7% of our GNP in this country on musculoskeletal ailments. And, uh, you know, if you're if you're over the age of 40 or 50, you have them and you have these weak links. They're kind of, kind of like the fault lines in your body, whether you know it or not, you have these weak links. And, and I know what you try to do and what I talk about is, you know, find these weak links before they find you. What do you think, um, you know, I, I can personally relate to that. I sort of feel like I have a collection of, uh, let me just first say is I've gotten out relatively unscathed after just the number of dumb things I've done with my life, hucking myself <laughs> off things, just taking lots of orthopedic risks. Um, but I, I have started to sort of aggregate. I mean, like my credit score has been dinged as it were, because, <laughs> you know, I was going a little too fast on some skis. I, you know, broke my hand when I was a little kid and, you know, worked around that problem. So besides the obvious sort of trauma, injury, because I think everyone can relate to that and sort of the, the impacts that it has. Why do you think that is? How, why have we shifted from the cold as we've gotten older to sort of 
you know, musculoskeletal problems and, and complaints about that? Well, I think part of it is uh, the aging baby boomers, that that glut of, of people who all hit a certain age at a certain time. Uh, and, and, and the, and the boomers my, and myself included were different than our parents. My parents' generation, they did very little. They were not active. Um, they aged not well because of that. They, you know, if, if you being sedentary is as dangerous for you as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So they didn't, they weren't active. If they ever went out and did something and were sore the next day, you know, they'd never go back and do it. But we were the no pain, no gain. (laughs) We were the no pain, no gain, you know, push yourself hard. I did, you know, all the contact sports. I did, you know, 15 years of martial arts. I, uh, and, and I guess that, that takes a soul and uh, it takes a toll on you. And over time you accumulate these weak links that I talk about and that, you know, they could be old injuries or, or an ailment that you developed along the way with me. It was a football injury to my knee when I was, you know, a, a late teenager, uh, that caught up with me later. It could be imbalances in, in your frame. You know, there's a lot of people who are working out, and you know this well. I mean, you are the, you're the king of, of finding these, uh, these flaws in, in mobility. But sometimes your own workouts or your own activities will create imbalances in your frame if you're not careful how you, how you train and what you do. And there's, you know, if, if you're a one-sport one pony or you only like to lift weights uh, or only like to run, you know, you're going to have predictable imbalances in your frame. I, I've been, uh, you know, I've taken care of the 76ers for, for 13 years. And, but for 30 years, I've been the doc for Pennsylvania ballets and ballet. And, and the dancers are amazing athletes. They're probably the most well-rounded athletes out there, but even on their frames, you'll find typical imbalances in a dancer's body. So based on what you do your whole life and your workouts, you get these imbalances of strength, flexibility, or both old injuries. You've never rehabbed, you know, it could be your alignment. These people that are bow-legged or knock-kneed, you're going to wear down one side of your knee, your genetics, obviously, you know, you know, choose your parents wisely. And then, and then the effects of aging, aging does change your collagen, which is the collagen, as you know, is the, is the, one of the structural components in your body. And kind of like gray hairs and, and wrinkles, the, the collagen changes, whether it's in your ten, in your elbow area, the tendons around there, your Achilles, your rotator cuff. And it's, it, it doesn't take much for it, for it to get injured. So um, it, it accumulates. And, and as I said, once you have these weak links or these vulnerabilities in your frame, you, you have a couple choices. Uh, you can, I think there's three major choices that you face. One is you can resolve it, which would be great. You know, whether it's uh, really great physical therapy, uh, maybe surgery, or even the body itself. The body has amazing repair and regenerative capabilities if you, you know, as long as you don't interfere with it, if you don't get in its way. So if you can resolve it, that's great. Most of us can't fully resolve these ailments. And with age, you don't heal as well. Your tissues just don't have that healing capability as when you were when you were a kid. So you're left with some not so great, com- incompletely healed things. So if you can't resolve it, your next step is to toughen it. So you have that weak link. Maybe you can tough it or toughen it, or you can toughen the, the structures around it so it's less vulnerable. And if you can't do that, the, the last thing, and this is where I have a hard time with my patients because they just don't want to accept the fact that they have this issue that's probably you're not going to fix, but you you can learn to safely work around it. There's ways to continue to stay active and fit. Uh, I will never give anybody a pass, you know, on being active and fit, but they might have to do it differently. Um, I mean, and you, you see that, I mean, you see the range. I mean, you're, you're with the people who are pounding their bodies 
probably harder harder than anyone other than Navy SEALs. I mean, you're looking at the CrossFit crowd, right? Um, they 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 really push to the limit, and and they will find those weak links at some point. And and what do you do when you come across them? I guess you are able to get many of them back to that high level activity. Even you know the CrossFit is not a real young crowd at times. I I have a lot of patients who are in their forties or fifties doing CrossFit, and I worry about them a little bit. But they but they they pull it off, and some of them are willing to make the modifications. I mean, do, do you come across that? Well, you know, first of all, what's really interesting is that you know <clears throat> the internet. I think in just modern modern strength culture has suddenly really democratized exposing people to serious strength and conditioning. Olympic lifting a decade ago did not look in popularity like it does today. When we started our gym 15 years ago, you couldn't even buy a kettlebell in San Francisco. Now you can buy one at Target, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so the world has changed underneath this a little <laughs> bit. And what I'll say is what we're, we experience is that, and I think our gym and co coaches do an extraordinary job of identifying when people have incomplete positioning, that we have stripped out movement quality, we have stripped out having your native range of motion. The ranges of motion, frankly, established by the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, right? The American Academy of Fine Practitioners. This is what normative ankle range of motion is. You don't do it, you don't have it, and you're expecting to perform this movement without complete range of motion. And what we saw, through our experimenting is that people will solve the problem in a creative way. I mean, human beings will, <clears throat> men will die for points, as Greg Glassman famously said. <laughs> and, you know, people will solve this problem. If I say you have to squat this deep, you'll squat that deep no matter what. If I say I'm going to, only thing that matters is how fast you run, you'll run that way no matter what. So what we started to identify is trying to restore people's positions, give them their native range of motion back. And then that meant that, you know, we, we had some breathing room in returning skill, changing nutrition, talking about sleep. We had a moment to to aggregate those things. But the average person, if you come in with your body and you're like, okay, I'm here, I'm ready to do gymnastics. I'm like, dude, you are a 47-year-old guy, <laughs> you know, who hasn't been upside down in a minute. Let's talk about getting there first. Correct. So I've got a question and I posed a similar question to at least one other guest this season. Um, and I'll preface it by saying, I sort of feel like the twenties are the time where you can just abuse your body without care. Um, and the thirties and forties are maybe the time when you really need to sort of put the money in the bank in terms of taking care of your health so that when you're in your fifties and beyond, um, you know, you have the best chance of feeling good and being able to do what you want. But, a challenge we face, and I'm sure you see this in your own practice, is getting people to care before they actually get hurt. Um, and I, I mean, I'm talking about like caring about taking care of their tissues and their movement quality and, you know, all the things they could do to potentially avoid injury. You know, I, I know you often are seeing people on the other end of it um, who are already injured, but do you have any thoughts or advice on how to get people to care? <laughs> I, you know, I think that's a, that's a huge challenge because especially when you're younger, you just, you're invincible. We know that. Um, and it's interesting because you can get away with a lot when you're younger, but there's certain things that you really need. Like you use the, the, the I think you just used the phrase banking early. It's, and one of the areas where I'm seeing a lot of issues is with the young females, um, especially the young female athletes. 
they, you know, their bone health, you're, you, you, you build your bones. I mean, your bones reach maximum density in your twenties and that you really start building that in your teens. So there's an example where if they don't, uh, if it's like a retirement fund, if you haven't put it away, when you hit 40 and you start losing, you, you don't have that nest egg to, to count on. And, and I see so many of these kids with, with weaker bones, it, it's pretty frightening. So some instances like bone health, you really, there, there, there's no way around it. You have to start young and that's hidden. That's, you know, that's below the radar. I see it, you know, I'm a knee surgeon in my real world and I do a lot of ACL reconstructions and we're seeing an epidemic of young female athletes tearing their ACLs. It's, it's just, I, I think we're doing girls a real disservice with the way we're just throwing them into these sports. Unfortunately, I think they need to do things differently and, and, and work a little harder to avoid this, but they're not doing it. So we're seeing an epidemic of life changing uh, ACL tears. But when I, when I do that surgery, you know, we drill these, we, I'm going to sound, I hope I don't, uh, you know, make people cringe out there, but uh, when we, we drill the tunnels to put the new ligament in, in the femur and the tibia around the knee, uh, we use power tools. And when I'm working on a, a 20 year old guy or a young football player, I need all my might with power tools to get through, through to, to drill these tunnels. A lot of these young girls w- with all of them, I always start the tunnel by hand just to make sure I'm in the right place and then we use the power tools to drill with a lot of these young girls i start by hand and i just keep turning by hand and i'm able to complete the tunnel to me that's early early stage osteoporosis osteopenia that's going to really catch up with them down the line uh, with muscle, it's a little different. You know, muscle, you can build at any age. You don't build it as well as when you were a teenager, especially guys with all the testosterone uh, where you can, you know, lift hardly anything and you, and, you, and you grow. As you get older, after the age of 40, you're going to start losing muscle. But muscle is reversible muscle loss. So, but even that sneaks up on you. A lot of these mobility issues you talk about and weakness, I, I think it's 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 almost stealth the way it happens. And 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 the wake up call is that injury that somebody gets. You know, they they throw throw a baseball and all of a sudden their shoulders sore, and they're like, "How could you tear a rotator cuff just by throwing a baseball or or starting a lawnmower?" Um, or just picking up the trash and tear something or pull your lower back. And it's 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 because that's. And they don't understand this with musculoskeletal elements, but but that's been brewing for a while. It's like that heart attack that someone has. That didn't just happen that day. They just found it that day. You know what I mean? They did the exertion or they did whatever where the, the coronary artery that was blocked then gets them into trouble with a heart attack. But when we see it on the musculoskeletal side, they're like, well, how did this happen? And and I want to be back to normal again. I want to be back to that teenage uh, body. But um, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So I think one of the great things you could do is is assessment. If if you can get somebody in for an assessment and show them the weakness, show them the imbalance, show them how tight certain muscles are, um, you know that that's step one maybe in in, in getting their attention before the injury happens. Uh, you know, if if you get an MRI on someone at, over the age of forty or fifty, you'll see all sorts of changes that are they're probably asymptomatic with, you know, their, their muscles and tendons look differently, uh, than when they were younger, their discs in their lower back look differently than they were younger. And they're all, these tissues are all more vulnerable. Um, so, you know, how do you get people's attention with me? It often is the injury where they come in, but if you can get it, if you can get in front of a crowd, um, 
you know, we, we have to talk prevention. That's true in all of healthcare. I mean, we're, look at the money we're spending in healthcare in this country. And I think it's, I think it last, I looked at some of the data, it was well less than 3% uh, spent on prevention. I mean, true prevention. So we, we treat everything like the Wall Street bailouts. We wait for something bad to happen, then we throw a lot of money and high technology at it and think we can fix it. But the, the, the you know, prevention is really the key, and it's going to take a, you know, you and I being out there a lot banging the drum. I think. Well, let me clear something up because Juliet said something I think was inaccurate. She said, you know, we we abuse our body in our twenties, and what I want to say is I actually didn't have enough money to abuse my body in the twenties the way I really have liked to. I think that was just I was critically poor, so it was self regulating already. Secondly, is that um, <laughs> probably abusing your liver? No, 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 then, just maybe. just straight no. abuse, not even not even alcohol. Um, you know, I met a a, a colleague of your, Bert uh, Mandelbaum, who also spends a, of course, oh, sure. who spends a lot of time talking about sort of this the ACL injury. And what's interesting about some of the research that I saw presented at a symposium, the Sparta Science System Symposium, I was at a week ago was this cascade of inflammatory issues that happens inside the knee upon ACL injury. And that basically when you have that swelling in the knee, it can just trash the the articular surfaces and you're more likely after meniscus tear, after ACL uh, injury, to need a total re- knee replacement and early onset arthritis. Aren't you like a lot more likely? Yes. Okay. It blew me away. You are, even if you fix the ACL, even if you have a perfectly done surgery and a stable knee and you go back to sports like you see, unbelievable, you know, Tom Brady, uh, Adrian Peterson, you, I, the list goes on and on. Drew Brees, I mean, these people who are doing um, Carson Wentz for the Eagles, all ACL terrors, all doing well. Well, maybe not our Eagles so much. But, uh, <laughs> but, Zach Ertz is my but, boy. But, it's okay. Oh, uh, isn't he? I, I love him. He is my favorite. He is my absolute favorite. But he but but these players, they do go back, but but they still are at extremely high risk for osteoarthritis. They're going to get arthritis down the line, even if the ACL is fixed and that we haven't been able to fix that yet. And, and that's going to take a lot more research to figure out why that happens. So that's my fear. When you see these teenage girls, especially soccer players, not only are they tearing their ACL, they're then re-tearing the ACL graft oh, a year or two oh. later. It, it, you know, 20 or 30% of them within a year of back to sports, either re-tear that same one, 20%, or they 10% tear the other ACL. So that's why I'm saying, are, are, are we doing them a disservice just throwing them out there and, you know, trying to clean up the mess after the ACL tears. They, they need to train differently. We know that that um, around the age of puberties, uh, around the age of puberty, girls start landing differently from jumps than, than boys do. It and, and you can retrain that. It's part of my theory that, of why, you know, I take care of dancers for 30 years. I, and they say, well, if you're loose jointed, you're more likely to tear your ACL. Or if you're female, you're more likely Not to true. tear your ACL. Well, there's no, there's no loose joint, more loose jointed group of people um, than female dancers. Yet I rarely ever see ACL tears. Now it might be the nature of their, but they're, they're jumping, they're landing, but, but they learn to jump and land from when they're really young and they have an unbelievable core strength. They have unbelievable mobility. And I think that's almost, you know, if you were going to vaccinate people against ACLs, I'd almost think you'd have to do something like what dancers do to retrain their body and especially retrain the landing gear. What's amazing about this conversation is really the heart of, I think, where Julianne and I try to wrap our head around from even our business aspect, which is it's difficult for people to appreciate 
inputs and outputs when those outputs may be 30 or 40 years away, right? And because mm-hmm. if you told if you told a young mother and father that their daughter has just torn her ACL, it's likely to have her knee replaced, you know, and it was preventable. That's really a shocking statement. And the same can be true about our nutrition or our sleep. So, you know, as a physician who's on the end, that really are the pointy end of all the 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 dysfunction and and the and you know the injuries where you know people can occupy in their own society. You know, they've got something else going on. How do we shift our mindset and, and do, where do we begin? You said, hey, we should, really should start with kids. But so much of this aging epidemic issue is really a behavior change piece. And so to follow up for Juliet's question, how do we get people to care? Where do we as health professionals need to insert ourselves in from this reactive healthcare model into a proactive healthcare model? Because that seems like the thing. Like We, we know what's going to happen. You just don't believe us because you're young and fabulous. Well, when I when I started, you know, in the 90s, when I told you we started collecting this data and seeing how, how common musculoskeletal ailments were and what happens, how does the musculoskeletal system age? Um, it, that, that's what prompted my my first book, the, the bestseller, which was called Framework, your seven-step program for healthy muscles, bones, and joint. I said to myself, okay, if you could do everything in your, uh, in your capability to have a body that's built to last or, or how do you extend that warranty on your frame? Because I, you know, I believe there's two things going on here. You have longevity. I kind of believe at this point, if, if you take care of yourself, you have pretty good genetics and a little bit of luck you're going to live long. You're going to live long, you know, and I'm vice president of the American Academy of anti-aging medicine. And when I go to those conferences, they're always talking longevity. I'm the one who has introduced to them, you know, Longevity is only one side of the coin. <laughs> Durability is the other side. And, and you know, we we kind of have a mismatch right now between longevity and durability. We're living longer, most Ooh, of us. Mm-hmm. But we don't. But, you know, and, and interestingly, well. no. And, and, you know, if you look at I'm going to give you some numbers that are that are crazy. So these are like 100 years apart. 1796 lifespan, 25 years average. 1896, kind of when my grandparents came to this country and just before my dad was born. So this is right before the 1900s, lifespan about 48 years. A hundred years later, 1996, we're looking at about 80 being the lifespan. So in a hundred years or so, we've almost doubled the human lifespan, right? But evolution's not fast enough to give you a body that's going to last that long. So I, that's why I say there's this mitch, mismatch between longevity and durability. And so how do you how do you get that extended warranty for all these added years? And that's where I sat down. I said, okay, what can you do? And, you know, my book, it starts out with assessment. There's all, all my books have an assessment. How do you find these imbalances or weaknesses or, 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 or flaws that you have, the, the weak links? And then what do you do about it? And, and you said it, it, it's about diet. It's about exercise and the right kind of exercise. It's, it's about mindset. I mean, the way you think, how you manage stress, the way you sleep, all of these things together and each adds up points that, you know, you're either going to get the extended warranty or you're not. And a lot of it is in your own control. Like you, you, you preach this and, and you have a line, I'm going to butcher it, but it's about, you know, everyone should be able to do their own body maintenance or something like that. Right. It's one of your things you talk about all the time. Yes. So 
So I want, I'd like to give people those tools to at least think about and, and, and assess their life of, okay, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And in, in, in all my tests, I always have this red, yellow, red light, yellow light, green light, that green light, okay, I'm okay here. Yeah, I sleep well, I manage stress, I eat the right things. Other things might be a flashing yellow light. Well, you bet, this is something you better take a look at. It's not urgent, but you hear somewhere where you can make a difference. And then the red lights are, you better get this checked or you're going to be in trouble. You have an, you have an issue here. So, and again, it's a very comprehensive, holistic approach and that, that's what it has to be. There's no one thing you're going to do. And the other thing I did with my book is that I took the top 20 uh, orthopedic ailments uh, and, and I give people some workarounds for their workouts because, you know, sometimes your body doesn't tell you the right thing. You think it's right to do something. You know what I mean? But like somebody with patellofemoral arthritis, I see a lot of that. And when you have knee pain, you know, if you, the common sense thing is, well, I have to strengthen my quads, right? So quad strength is important for knee strength. But if you have a worn kneecap, which I see a lot of, and you go out and do some really great quad strengthening exercises like lunges or squats, especially if you're not doing them right, you can really make things worse. And it's the same thing if you have rotator cuff uh, pathology in the shoulder. The way you strengthen your shoulder and the way you address the imbalances could make or break things. So you do the wrong kind of lifting overhead, you know, press behind neck press, uh, some rapid uh, lateral raises, you're going to get in trouble. So I, I for, for the top 20 ailments, I say, okay, instead of doing this, why don't you try this at first? And then hopefully, you know, if you resolve it, you can go back to the other things, but, or you may always need to be on the plan B where you have that modified program. But again, you don't get the pass. You don't get to sit on the couch. You absolutely need to keep moving. Your body, you know, responds to this. Your body uh, remodels. It regenerates. And, you know, your stuff's so innovative, I think, because you've found ways to mobilize damaged tissues, to bring blood to those areas that are, you know, a lot of the, you know, blood flow is important for healing. But with age, a lot of the body parts don't get the optimal bl blood flow, you know, your rotator cuff, your Achilles tendon, your around the elbow. So you have some very innovative ways to mobilize tissue. I think in addition to mobilization, the thing that you're doing is bringing blood flow to that area and you're probably optimizing whatever healing you can, you can do in that area. And it's one of the reasons I, I also believe that aerobic training is important. When you, when you get that blood flowing through your body, you're getting a flush of blood flow, not just to your heart and lungs, but you're getting it to all the nooks and crannies um, uh, of your body that don't get great circulation uh, in everyday life. And, and that's part of why these, these, these tissues fail is because of, of, of low-grade uh, circulatory things. A lot of the, the devices you and I work with and that I was part of the research with, whether it's H-Wave or Mark Pro, uh, also has been shown to increase blood flow into these nooks and crannies where you, you probably, they, it may have stalled. Your healing process may have stalled in that area. But your stuff is so innovative. And that's why I, I'm not kidding when I say they get a prescription pad with your name on it. <laughs> next, I'm going to give them your cell phone number and really. <laughs> the next edition of Supple Leopard will be even easier to use and heavier. So people are going to be able to use it as a training device. So, you know, I love the idea of durability. And I think probably everyone listening to this can agree that, you know, the goal isn't to live to 95. The goal is to live as old as you can live and still actually feel good and be able to do things. And I think those of us that work in this industry or field, um, excuse me, <clears throat> I think we all have sort of 
landed on these same basic principles that you sort of have to do for longevity and durability, which is sleep, stress management, eat some vegetables, get some exercise and, you know, in our, and, and we like to add on, you know, do some mobility work, take care of your body. Um, and I think people are still somehow just so confused and I'm not sure if under each one of those sort of pillars that there are, you know, in the diet pillar, for example, there's 5,000 different diets and it's what diet and how much sleep and well, how much water do I drink and how do I manage stress? And I think there's still so many hows. Um, and I, I honestly, I think at least in our, our industry, health and fitness, we've done more to confuse people, um, rather than make it simple. But what are your thoughts on that? Uh, you are, you're absolutely right. And, you know, there's a large segment of the population that aren't even moving, right? So there's the, that half of the crowd that we, we, we just need to get off the couch for their overall health. And then there's the other half. I'm not, and I don't know, it's not half and half. It's, it's, I wish it were half the population we're exercising, but then we have those, the people you and I deal with that are very active and they're getting into trouble. And, um, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, you, you said something about living long and, and, and there's a, a doc I knew who was one of the fathers of preventive medicine. His name was Ernst Winder. And he was one of the first docs who made the connection between smoking, uh, that it might be causing lung cancer actually. And he was ostracized by the medical community who were then still investing in cigarettes. Smoking they doctors. Were, yeah. And they were, the AMA were, I think was a big investor in the in tobacco industry, but he, he once said it should be the function of medicine to have people die young as late as possible. And I, I think he was kind of, he was kind of <laughs> in the right direction there that you're, you know, that you're still, your body's still functional, your mind is functional, but you want it to be, you know, later, later in, in, in age. And I, and that's why I say that the, the achievement of longevity, which I think we're, we're achieving actually, there, there's some anti-aging people that think, you know, by the, by 2050 or so, we might be up to 140 in terms of how we live if we start being able to cure cancer and, and get rid of a lot of these diseases that take people out. But I believe that the, the achievement of longevity will bring the challenge of durability to the forefront of modern healthcare. And it's, and, and this is why we're spending, you know, 5% of our GNP on, on musculoskeletal ailments. It's the, our bodies are, are falling apart. So, um, how do you get people to look into that future and see that that's going to be them and take better care of themselves? <laughs> I, I, again, I think we just got to keep banging the drum. Um, there is no shortage of health information out there, but are we any healthier as a result of it? I mean, uh, and yes, there's confusing health information and there's a lot of people out there that are hucksters that are pushing things that aren't, aren't right. But when you when you think about it, it's really the basic stuff that gets you there. You don't have to be on extreme diets. You just you, most of us know what what's right to eat and what's not. Uh, you got to keep moving. You got to listen to your body. You get things checked. You know, definitely get things checked sooner rather than later. Um, and even, but even that can get you into trouble. I have so many colleagues that if you walk in there with an ailment and they have an MRI that's positive, they're talking surgery before they talk anything else. And, and, and that's not always right. Um, especially as you age, there's, there's, you always want to look for non-surgical methods if you can first. There's certainly, there's things that need surgery. I'm a surgeon and I, you know, I know that certain things always need surgery up front, but there's a lot of leeway there in terms of how you can manage your own body, avoid surgery. Um, combining, I think one of the, one of the big areas that I, I, I talk about a lot is the, you know, we have the world of fitness, we have uh, the world of rehab, and then we have the healthcare world. And these are three separate worlds, kind of, that r rarely ever 
are talking to each other. But if you if you look at the patient, the patient connects those three things. They they you know so these worlds need to collide. We need to you the fitness people need to know more about rehabilitation and how to modify exercise for for people whose frames are not cooperative. That middle aged patient who has ailments. You can't just you know there's some well meaning personal trainers out there. They're getting people in a lot of trouble and it's not their fault. So I've done a lot of work with ACE in some of their. Uh, you know, musculoskeletal and orthopedic uh, certification where they can just learn to be aware of these kinds of things. And there's a lot of doctors who don't really know a whole lot about exercise or rehabilitation. So, you know, but the patient carries all of these three areas around with them all the time and, and they're the connection. So we need to be more connected to each other and use each other's capabilities. Um, but, you know, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. And uh, it's not going away when, when you look at the money that's spent in this nation on musculoskeletal care. And it's why I spent, you know, almost all day on the phone trying to get a surgery approved. These insurers are now denying legitimate surgeries and we're having to fight for every surgery we do. I had a high, this guy's a top level high school football player with a big tear in his meniscus. He made it through the season, his knees swelling. He's having trouble. He's also one of the top track and field athletes in Pennsylvania. So he's got a window of opportunity. Now it's the holidays. I'm going to operate on his tomorrow and hopefully get him back uh, training for his track and field season. And he's being recruited by every college in the world. His surgery was denied all week. I finally got somebody to approve it today. It's, are you kidding me? Uh, so, so they know, I think they realize how much is being spent on musculoskeletal and we're a big target that they're trying to deny a lot of this stuff. Um, it's complicated, man. It's complicated. But this yeah, kid, God, it's so complicated. Um, you know, kids like this, you tear your meniscus. It does not look repairable. So you lose that meniscus. Is he at higher risk for arthritis in that knee 10, 15 years out? Absolutely. Is he higher risk for knee replacement 20 years, 30 years from now? Absolutely. But but the future is very bright in orthopedics. You know, we're doing a lot of things now where with regenerative medicine, maybe we can prevent arthritis. You get that early damage in a joint. We can now regrow uh, articular cartilage. We can grow, regrow joint cushions that have been damaged in earlier stages. So it's, you know, but, but again, the high tech is so costly and it's big surgeries. And if you can prevent those issues up front, you've done a lot. So you mentioned earlier you are the vice president of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. I'm curious Correct. about what people are researching, what's promising, you know, what's going on in the anti-aging yeah, research I haven't universe. been able to buy the pill. Which <laughs> pill do I need to buy? <laughs> Doc, help me out. I'm here for, I'll get, you, give it to me. I'll, I'll buy two of them. You need a better placebo. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. It's called well, my wife, and she's like, you have a man cold. Get over it. <laughs> well, the, yeah, everybody wants that pill that's going to turn everything around. I wish it were that easy. Or the exercise pill. Remember that one? There was going to be a pill that just you didn't have to exercise. But um, I think the exciting stuff for me is in, in the area of regenerative and regenerative medicine, where we're able to uh, accelerate healing or regenerate areas that are damaged that you, you know, you know, in the past, must, orthopedics was more about Mr. Fix it. You break something, you kind of fix it and you get it hopefully kind of close to what it used to be, but it never is going to be the same. Now, the idea that you can, you know, regenerate something and get it back to when it was new is, is very exciting. And we're doing that in summer. We're just on the verge of it. And there, here's another area where, you know, if you listen to the radio or you look at 
airplane magazines. You see all these ads for, you know, come here, we're going to inject this. It's regenerative medicine. And there's no single injection right now that's regrowing anything, but there's a lot of them being done and people are getting false hope that their arthritis is going to be cured with a, with an injection of some stem cells or blood cells. And although I do think stem cells and PRP have unbelievable uh, uh, potential and do ha- there are great times to be using them, but I think, you know, the marketing has gotten a little ahead of the science with a lot of this regenerative stuff, but I do think it is the, it is the future. So it's, it's very exciting on the musculoskeletal side. But again, when, when I go to those meetings, it's not a lot about musculoskeletal. They're still talking about, you know, aging and the brain and cosmetics and things like that. But it's true. I, I, feel I tell like them, it's, it's really hidden. It's lost. Yeah. The You're muscle, absolutely right. The durability side is it's, it's, it's there and it's huge. Um, and that's why the three of us are going to help solve that problem, right? We're going to, I think we can, if, you know, getting the right tools that people can self-assess or, or maybe you go to a personal trainer or a physical therapist and have this, you know, quick, uh, I got the idea with my car. When you bring it in, they had this, this sheet that you, they run it through and it has the red, yellow, green, and here's all your stuff. And this all's good. And this maybe is going to need something next time. And this, you better get fixed right now, or you're, you're going to be in trouble. You know what I mean? And I'm like, so easy. Why, why can't we do that with our body? <laughs> and, and you do that. I mean, when you assess people, do you do head to toe or do you just focus on what they came in with? I mean, I'm sure your preventive stuff looks head to toe with somebody based on what they want to do. Is that correct? We have a full assessment for what we think are our movement vital signs, mm-hmm. right? Really our minimums is saying, Hey, look, this is what everyone agrees you should be able to do. And you're pretty far away from that. But simultaneously, you know, because movement is a complex topic and even just as we you've kind of you've hinted at Juliet's hinted at the right kind of exercise the right diet right and maybe not the standard american diet maybe not bench press and elliptical we're going to have to be a little more sophisticated than that um you know it it takes a minute and i think it's okay to engage in a conversation and a practice one of the things that Juliet and i always ask about and we say tell us about your you know your health practice your body practice that, that sort of infers that this is not a game you're ever going to win, but a game we're going to constantly be playing. And there are times when you're going to play really well, and there's times when you have newborn children and chasing careers when you're just scratching, you know, 200. So, you know, I, I think I think it's okay to say, hey, let's begin a conversation about this. And one of the things that I, I've been wanting to ask you about, because you have spent so much time in basketball and ballet and you are on the American Council. You are the chief medical officer for the American Council of Exercise, mm-hmm. right? You're on the board. You are on the Presidential Physical Fitness with Arnold, Sports Council. With Arnold is my boss. With Arnold. And my, yeah, my friend. So you've got Arnold. You've got you know, Alan Iverson, Cal Ripken Jr. Some really legends have touched you. Do you see, if you could just pan back and just see sort of through-line narrative, what are some behaviors? Or if, if, you, if you could see those things and then also – talk to every person on the planet about sort of those through line narratives or best practice and what you think is a key message. What, what do we need to hear that we're not hearing in specifics? Wow. That, that, that that's a tough one. If I could answer that one. Uh, um, <laughs> that's right. You wouldn't be uh wouldn't, yeah, we'd all be on the beach. We'd be all be on the beach, but it's, it, 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 I think it's, it varies from person to person and you almost have to individualize a lot of this. Um, Again, I get back to to the assessment. If if you see what they're doing and what they've done, you know what what how, what their fitness routines are, what their sport is, you can almost predict 
certain patterns of, of, of issues that they're going to have. So you either identify the, the weak links that they don't know about or the obvious weak links that they have, and then you try to rehabilitate them. You either rehab them or, or find other ways to help them uh, resolve and, and just stay ahead of it with regular assessments. I, I mean, people need to be, they need to be checked, but but it's not how we work in this kind. People only come to me when they when they're hurt. Now, when they're when I see them, I'm pretty thorough with my exam. I'll look, you know, I might not go head to toe on a knee injury, but I'll certainly go from their from their core down to their to their foot when I when I examine their knee. So I'm I'm, I'm picking up which those is already really miraculous. Yeah, and I do, and I take the time. I take a lot of time with patients. I probably don't see as many patients as any of my my colleagues. Do and I and I do spend time with people and I do try to, but th- there I'm only affecting one person at a time, and that's why working with the American Council on Exercise A4M, you you have a bigger reach that way. You understand that you you and and I learned this from Arnold. You know, Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger is a dear friend of mine, and we would talk a lot. And he saw some of the things I was doing, and and he thought I was pretty innovative, pretty creative. And he would say, you know, the work you're doing, it doesn't take a whole lot more work to reach. 100,000 people than it does to reach 100 people. If you have the information and you know how to use it, you know, you it doesn't take that much more work to reach a larger number of people. And I've always kept that in mind that and I'm always trying to think of how how can I how can I reach more people? So whether it's, you know, I'm on Twitter, Dr. Nick USA, I used to have a boatload of followers. And then somehow when Twitter, uh, a lot of mine got purged, maybe they were Russian bots or something like that. But (laughs) I went from about 40,000 followers to, you know, less than 10,000. But but still, I'm I'm on there. I'm always trying to get information out there. I speak at conferences. I try to change. If you change one or two doctors mindset, you have the potential to change. You're looking at hundreds of people that you can change. So you know, I, I try to think beyond the, the, my one exam room and one patient at a time. And I like to write. I like to speak. Uh, I write books. I was on PBS. and and But then you get so busy, you, you don't do this. So that's why, you know, any opportunity to work with, you know, legends like you guys and and, and to sh- share some of our ideas and, and look for ways that we could reach more people, whether it's through through working with ACE that has a, you know, they have an army of personal trainers, as do some of the other certification, uh, fitness certification organizations. You start reaching these people and then they're reaching their hundred people. It's almost like those, uh, what were those multi-level marketing schemes where you, you go to one person and they go to three person, then they have another 20 per. So you, you start reaching a lot of people and maybe, maybe you can change some lives. So I, I you know, the, one other thing I, I just struck my mind that you guys will be interested in, maybe you've not seen this data. And this is a, this is a little, shift, but I think it's really important is, is, you know, what, what kind of an issue we have in this country with chronic pain, right? I mean, it's, it's a significant number of people in this nation have chronic pain. And, and unfortunately, a lot of them also have opioid issues, but pain, whether you know it or not, and I'm sure you probably know this, but uh, the audience may not pain accelerates aging. Now, all these people with chronic pain, there has been some amazing studies done on this, looking at even 20,000 plus 50-year-olds and finding that people with middle-aged patients with chronic pain can resemble in terms of how you're looking at them on functional functional scale and their, you know, their functional capabilities, functional decline. They can look like 
someone who are two to three decades older physically. So a 50-some-year-old can look like an 80-year-old just because they've had chronic pain, whether it's because they're in pain and they're less, whether the mindset, the opioid use may be part of it. And I'm not talking about pe- only people who are on opioids. Are, these are people who are not even on opioids, but opioids are the, a whole other area. But we have a big problem with chronic pain in this country. And once you have chronic pain, you're, you talk about age accelerators like that early injury when you're a kid. This, wow, so, so you have these the, you know, 40-year-olds that are like 70-year-olds uh, because they probably are less active. They're not moving as well. They get into these uh, functional movement patterns that are really abnormal and they're not using their body right. You've seen this with people with back pain where, you know, I had this myself, a friend of mine years ago clowning around uh, every year, he'd find me on the beach and tackle me and, and we'd laugh and get up and, and just brush it off. One year he came from behind. I didn't see him coming. And so I couldn't tighten up or roll with it. And, and it changed my life. And my back was, you know, I, I couldn't play tennis. I couldn't do a lot of things. And uh, it was only because I had, at the time I was the Sixers physician, we had an amazing chiropractor who was able to mobilize segments of my back that hadn't moved in years, honestly. And once he was able to mobilize them, I was able to do some work, uh, a lot of conditioning work, uh, core work, things that I couldn't do before to maintain what I had. And with that segment moving, um, I'm, I'm good again. I mean, it's my still will my back will still go out. It, it used to go out more than I did, but now it's, it's, you know, it's manageable. It's something I can manage. And it was because I know I got into a situation. If I had just left that alone and sat around and woe is me and feel sorry for myself, uh, I would have never broken out of that. So, you know, I guess it's the two kinds of patients we deal with. Some people, they, they're afraid to move. They don't want to do anything. There's others that want to just blast through it and do crazy stuff even with their ailments. So that's why you have to individualize a lot of this. You, you see what the mindset of that person is and see, see what you can, what you're able to fix. Um, and again, I, I can't thank you enough for some of the innovative things that uh, even I've used some of your, your kinds of things for, for some knee issues I've had where, you know, it's not just range of motion when you're talking about mobilizing something in a completely different way than what the typical orthopedic surgeon who looks at the patient and says, Oh, your motion is fine. You know, I can measure it with a goniometer. You can straighten all the way and, and you can bend almost all the way. So you're fine. Well, no, not if you follow uh, Kelly's stuff that there, there's other areas of muscle tendon and joint mobility that are just different than whether it can straighten or bend all the way. Am I correct? Uh, only about a hundred percent correct. You know, <laughs> one of the things that I, you know, we, we really just really appreciate your message. You know, my father's a physician, my grandfather's a physician. Um, and one of the things that I think we, we kind of come up against all the time, Juliet and I is maybe healthcare, you know, when I have catastrophe or pathology, Healthcare is very clear and very easy to understand. And sometimes I tell people, hey, look, you are running into your physician with a problem that's not a physician problem. That, you know, that the physician may not, she may not be set up in the current way we're, we're paid for healthcare and compensated for healthcare and how it's managed. An eight minute visit is not the place to understand your complex knee running mechanics or, and your lifestyle and your nutrition. 
you know, I have friends like in Australia who are like neurosurgeons who've opened gyms and that's how they're expanding their practice. And I feel like physicians like you who are working with dancers, working with athletes, spending a time in public health is really the model that we need to take in all healthcare. We've got to bring the mountain to Mohammed is for lack of a better word. And simultaneously, we've got to do a better job of giving people the tools to be able to use their physicians and use their healthcare appropriately, not as an emergency break. Correct. Yeah. Stop the, the Wall Street mentality, the bailout, you know, wait till you're wait till you're badly damaged and, and then try to turn back the clock. Uh, not going to happen. Um, so the one other thing you guys mentioned that, that I think is important is, is the nutritional side that, you know, what you eat, uh, food is is kind of a medicine. And um, there's when you look at inf inflammation that occurs and low grade inflammation in your body, um, there are there there's a lot of things out there that are readily available in everyday life that are it's almost like they're inflammatory uh, molecules that you're eating and you're 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 creating inflammation uh, and you there's things other like things sugar. that you can eat sugar, uh, you know, white bread, whiter the bread, the sooner you're dead, uh, sugar. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a lot of things out there that create inflammation, low grade inflammation in your body. And, and again, eating the right kind of, uh, bread or vegetables, it's sure it's not going to completely cure things. But again, this is one factor where we could do so much better in this country to be, you know, choosing those foods that are actually anti-inflammatory rather than pro-inflammatory. And when you look at being overweight, you know, when you're overweight, not only is there a mechanical load on your joints, like for every extra pound that someone carries, your your knee reads it as five to seven pounds, right? So there, there's a there's an exponential uh, overload on your joint with even small amounts of weight gain. And the good news there is that if you lose weight, if you lose three pounds, you know, your knee thinks you lost 20 pounds. So <laughs> I, I try to tell patients, let's just start with a little. And even 10-pound weight loss has been shown to slow down the progression of osteoarthritis. But in addition to the mechanical load that obesity uh, plays, those extra fat cells are, there's a, not only a metabolic stress, but there, there, there is an inflammatory stress in your system. There is higher grades of inflammation when you're carrying extra body fat. So it's kind of a triple, triple threat to the body. It's the mechanical load. It's the metabolic load on your system with diabetes and other things, heart disease and things like that. But then there's the chronic low grade inflammation that it also creates. So, and again, the fitness crowd that you're working with, or probably obesity is not the issue, but it is for a lot of the population. And it is one of the reasons that people have musculoskeletal ailments. I mean, people who are obese, it, it makes sense that you would say, okay, I understand why they have higher incidence of knee and hip arthritis and knee and hip replacements. I can kind of understand why they have more back pain, right? And, and disc, but why do they have a higher incidence of rotator cuff tears? Well, that's an interesting thought. And it's because of the, these other effects that, uh, that obesity has on your frame. Obviously, obesity isn't, you're not walking on your hands, so you're not affecting the shoulder, but much higher incidence of rotator cuff issues, higher incidence of problems with surgery if, you, if you're carrying extra weight. So, you know, get the weight off, get moving, uh, try to eat a little better, manage stress, uh, all these things that I say, but I, I don't even do all the time. I'm pretty beat up and, you know, I'll eat my pizzas every Friday. Got to have pizza. So your last name is yeah. Denubly. Yeah. You have to <laughs> have to. Um, so one is that I just want to say that I'm always telling Juliet, don't worry. 
I've actually got big knees, so I'm so set, right? I can handle this this extra mass I'm carrying around, baby. Um, <laughs> big knees. Where would we find you on the internet so we can read about more? And also, what's next for you? What are you working on? Okay, well, uh, my website is drnick.com, just D-R-N-I-C-K.com. And my, my Twitter feed is uh, Dr. Nick USA. It's just D-R-N-I-C-K-U-S-A uh, on Twitter. Um, what am I working on that, you know, I think my next book might have to do with the, with the female athlete. And I think it, it's going to be very controversial. Um, and I, I think I need to help change this whole process because when I see all these young girls with concussions and a, just the concussions and AC, there's more than that, but just on the concussions and ACL tear, uh, we're going to have a significant issue going forward because it is epidemic rate right now. And, you know, there's every high school girls soccer team has at any given time, three or four kids with ACL tears. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and this is, you know, we always talk about ACL tears being career ending when I was, when I was in my training, then we thought, well, we have this solved, we can fix them. So it's only season ending. So they get back and play the next year. Sure they do, but really it's, it's a life altering injury. And these concussions we're seeing are, you know, not like when you and I were younger and I'm, I'm older than you guys, but where you got, you got your bell rung and it was kind of funny and you went back and did whatever you had. We, we realize now that there's a, there's a uh, significant issue there. So, and females are, are really uh, at much higher risk on some of these, see these issues. So I, I, I want to try to change the way we think about that. I want to keep doing my work on how we change the way we think about our frame our you know, our musculoskeletal system, how it functions how it fails and, and how it thrives. I mean, I really want to, to make an impact there. Um, I'm an old guy with relatively young kids. So, uh, you know, I'm always interested in what my kids are going to be doing. Neither one of them is going into medicine. So, you know, we'll see how those, they play out, but, and then I want to try to keep being a better tennis player, a better dad, a better husband. Uh, but I, I still, like Arnold says, I, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot more work to change, change the world than just to change your own household. So uh, I'm always going to be looking for ways to, to make an impact. Well, Dr. Nick, count Juliet and I in on your projects and uh, what, what an absolute pleasure, you know, we, to everyone knows we sort of a mutual good friend and I've been trying to connect with Dr. Nick for an age. And this is the first time we've ever spoken. And I feel like, wow, if I could clone myself and move myself out to the East coast, (laughs) <laughs> it's it's you. Well, we're so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, and I really, really appreciate you having me on. Uh, hopefully, this is the beginning of 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 maybe some interesting things we can do together. And um, I really, really look forward to you know collaborating with you. And I will continue to write your name on prescription pads. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Doctor Nick. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. The Ready State is the new home of MobilityWAD, where we've assembled the most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos, all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. At its core, our message has always focused on helping you be more ready. Ready for your next race? Ready for next workout, ready to keep up with your kids, pretty much ready for anything life throws your way. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. Kelly Starrett is the New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be happier and healthier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is the co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and The Ready State, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it!